Welcome to the I Love to Watch You Play.com podcast with Dr. Sam Mignar, our resident sports psychologist. Our mission to help you be the best sports parent or coach you can be. We do this by talking to top experts and newsmakers in youth sports and drilling down on the topics that are most important to the health, happiness, and success of you and your athlete. All right, welcome everybody who's watching live on Facebook or maybe watching this via replay or might even be listening to listening to this on our audio podcast. This is the I love to watch you play.com podcast with Dr. Sam and Yar. And I am our host today, Dr. Sam and Yar. And we have a very special guest, Dr. Adam Beard, who is the high performance director with the Chicago Cubs. A little background on Adam. He has worked with athletes in uh, several continents and countries from Australia to uh, the UK to the Middle East to the United States and has worked with everything from obviously professional baseball to the NFL, uh, Australian rules football. I believe you guys call that footy out in Australia, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, a whole bunch of other sports in between. And so tons of experience across the globe and with uh lots of athletes working in sports science and in high performance and so we're really thrilled to have you today adam hey thanks for having me sam um so you know i'm hoping that you know this is just an organic uh conversation and a discussion i do have a few questions that i to to get us started but uh we'll just see where it goes adam and and uh feel free to you know Share, share whatever you think would be helpful for our listeners. Yeah, no, so, happy to, to share whatever. Awesome. Awesome. So let, let's start with, you know, what high performance directors, at least in the States, is a relatively new thing, um, you know, and so and even quote unquote sports science. So talk to us, you know, what does that mean? What does a high performance director do and what do we mean by high performance and what do we mean by sports science? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it is new in the States. It, it's probably a little bit more kind of ingrained in probably Australia, Europe, and especially the, the USSR, or, you know, it used to be the former USSR with their sporting, um, uh, you know, developments. Look, the, the title is high performance. So obviously we want to maximize performance. Um, this high performance director in the States um, there's a lot of kind of debate on on what it is, but realistically, it is for the organisations that are that are doing it well is someone to oversee all of the different departments. So that that being physical and mental. So I oversee five departments: that being strength and conditioning, athletic training, medical, sports science, nutrition, and psychology, mental skills. So it's trying to maximise performance of both the coaches and players. Um, through a holistic lens. Uh, great. So I'd imagine with those different disciplines you you uh, mentioned, um, that must be challenging sometimes to get everybody on the same path and see the same vision and work together. It is. It is. Um, I'm dealing with some really good experts. You know, take your your uh, experience. You know, I'm not as experienced in psychology as yourself. So how do I get people who are a lot smarter in different areas on the same page? And realistically, we, we 
grab that vision from here is our president um, and our manager, and then we construct how can we um, support that. So, you know, let's face it, a good analogy is if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> My job is to make sure everybody does not look through only their lens, but how can the other sub-departments really help um, get the best out of our players and coaches? Sure. So having been in multiple countries and worked with multiple sports, what are some differences that you've seen, good or bad, working with uh, sports in the U.S. compared to some of the other places you've been? Yeah, wow, good question. Um, I think the people are the same. Like Athletes are all, all want to get better and, and that sort of thing. Your, your best players are going to work harder. They're going to stack good habits and that sort of thing. It's probably the different systems. So take the U.S., the U.S., because of our population here, it's almost like elimination. You know, you go through kind of if you don't make the peewees, you're probably not going to make the next level and the next level. So people are kind of um, eliminated throughout. Um, we tend not to have late developers as much in some of our systems, um, whereas in, let's say, Australia, the population is a lot smaller, so they probably cater a little bit more for the later developers. So I'm not saying that, that late developers can't make it in the US and I'm not saying that, you know, late developers always make it in, in Australia, but they're probably the bigger things is, is the system. So like college, college sport in the US is a much bigger deal than a lot of other countries. You don't tend not to have that in Europe. You tend not to have that in Australia. So college is very, very important for the pathway to the top in, in the States. So more sure. the systems and the people, I think. Look, culturally, you know, the Middle East, um, you know, very uh, religious. So, you know, the, the, the guys would, would um, and I was only allowed to work with, with men there, um, you know, prayer six, seven times a day. So, you know, you had to kind of cater for, for that around it. So I just think communication with, with different cultures and, and being sensitive to to people's beliefs has been a big one too. Sure. So with sports science and high performance being r relatively new in the U.S. compared to some of the other places you've been, what sort of resistance or skepticism or questions have you encountered um, as you yeah. come to the States? I guess because it's not as ingrained in the, in the States, you have a lot of uh, guruism. Or, or a lot of uneducated opinions, and that's probably the, the big one of trying to educate my stakeholders, be that the GM, be that the head coach, is they've had a snippet of, of some of these things, but um, I think it's, it's trying to be transparent and honest of, look, sometimes you may have heard these things, and I think we're going through that as there's the pandemic, you know, the, the coronavirus is... You know, you can go to Twitter or Instagram or Facebook to get kind of your your education or you can go through science. And, and that's sort of um, the the process that I adopt. Yeah. Having known you for several years now, I, I know that the no gurus is a is a big thing for, for you. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Um, you know, we've we've got players that are on hundreds of millions of dollars. So they've obviously got a team. They're almost like a CEO of themselves. So probably, you know, since I came to the States back in 15, um, I've changed my process for, for dealing with gurus and, and 
you know, I try and talk to them as well these days in, in terms of trying to educate them for the best for the players. You know, in the end sure. of the day, it's not about me. It's not about the guru. It's about the player. So. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the player. I think that's a great segue. You know, something you had said earlier was that stereotypically the U.S. is, you know, more about elimination and uh, not as many late bloomers. Uh, and we want to talk to our audience today about how do we maximize the performance of their mostly their kids uh, who are listening. We probably have some coaches listening as well. But so we're mostly talking about uh, youth athletes, middle school, high school. Um, so how, how do we maximize their performance? Do you have any, let's just start generally. Are there tips that you have uh, that you'd like to throw out there from an educated science-based approach? Yeah, no, um, I think with sport, you tend to get athletes, so if we're trying to maximize their performances, what is their strengths? You know, you tend to really enjoy your strengths. And, and I think with a lot of this high performance and sport science is we mitigate that. Um, you know, we can easily turn a line into like a zebra as such, you know, and, and put them in the pack. But I think that, you know, to the parents, to the, to the coaches is enhance that specialty of that player. And I think that's, you know, if you're just always working on your weaknesses and not your strengths or your physical um, gifts, then you tend to lose enjoyment. But then also, you know, what makes that player special and, and enjoyment? So I think that's a big thing. Um, sure. There's the, there's the Tiger Woods kind of uh, versus Roger Federer. You know what I mean? Like I, I think um, Epstein put it in his book Range and I, I think that was a, a really cool lesson of, you know, early specialization versus kind of get, getting that range and breadth. And I, I think right. our players I'm seeing at the moment, you know, injuries and, and different things is the bandwidth for performance is very small. And we want our kids to do a lot more bandwidth. So, you know, experience climbing trees. There's, you know, people are worried about that these days and, and we <laughs> want to give them, you know, those experiences and, and different sports and cultures and that sort of thing. So, Sure. So accentuate or leverage strengths. Uh, sounds like yep. be, a, be a kid and be well-rounded. It sounds like it's some advice that you have. Any other general, general tips? I know we'll get into some specifics in a little bit. Um, yeah, I think goal setting is, is a big one. Like, like teaching um, players to goal set, you know, short term, medium term, long term, because I think it can understand their why. You know, we tend to have players in our minor league system and you sit down with them and you ask them the goal. And, and of course, the goal is the major league. But what is the goal today? Like how... Mm -hmm. How, how can you view a session? And it's very easy, hey, win the session, but what is winning the session for that player? Right, and what does that mean? Yeah, and I'd encourage that. I think that's a really important one. So, I, I like what you're saying because it, 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 I, it remain, reminds me of a conversation I had with, with another sports science director. Um, and he had said, he came from the UK, and he said, uh, you know, you have more athletes in – Dade County, Florida, than we have in all of England. And the problem is that of this elimination that you talked about, to use your word, Adam, and that that there's not enough focus on development. Either if the player doesn't work out, they're gone and we'll just go because the pool is so large 
we'll yeah. go and we'll get the next player. And what I love that you're talking about, you're talking about develop, you're talking about development and and helping helping them day to day improve, but also leverage their strengths. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important. Um, and I used to say that at the NFL, like, you know, straight after the season, um, they go into a very specific phase and I would tend to tell the players, go and work on what made you special. Is it strength? Is it power? Is it speed? Is it technique? Like that's the window. We'll get you conditioned in, in kind of, you know, the off season program, but yeah, work on what makes you special. And I think that's really important. Great. So let's dive into some some more specific things. And and if you're listening live and you have questions, uh, feel free to type them in the uh, Facebook Live, and and we'll we'll ask Dr. Beard your question. All right. So one question that I, so I have a 14 year old and a 12 year old, and one question I've always had is at what age should uh, kids start strength training, and uh, and 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 then what should they start with? What thoughts do you have on that? Yeah, great question. Great question. I think there's there's some really good position play, uh, papers at the moment. Um, Rodri Lloyd out of the UK, Avery um, Frydenberg um, from the US here was, was a pioneer in terms of that, Kyle Pierce. Um, so, you know, I would put in those searches and, and that sort of thing. Dealing with, with the kids in the, in the Middle East, we um, talent identified them from like 10 um, and we, we brought them in. I think the body doesn't process resistance training different. So everyone goes, kind of goes, hey, we'll just do body weight. But if you do certain body weight, so i.e. a push-up, you know, that's two-thirds of your body weight. Whereas if you had a dumbbell that's at five pounds, it's much, much smaller resistance. So mm. I do think that, you know, you can start, look, even Olympic weightlifting really, really young if you're doing it skill-based. So it might be with a an aluminum bar or with, you know, a dowel rod, I think you can start kind of, you know, 10 at, at least. Um, so I, I, I would encourage you more skill-based type things. Um, you know, what are we preparing for? Are we preparing for soccer? So, you know, if we're preparing for soccer, de-accelerations, accelerations, um, you know, are, are really hard on the body. It's like two, three, four times body weight. So, um, but in saying that, so like, you know, you might go squatting, someone might say, hey, well, that's two or three times body weight deceleration. We'll just put that on, on the, the, the young, uh, young adolescent's back. And we have a growing spine. So I would, I would reduce that, um, you know, the, 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 the spinal loads. But I mean, I, I think you can start very young. I would just encourage people to go and see a qualified coach. Sure. And that's, that's probably the big thing. Um, same and, with and every, every. What advice would you give for finding a qualified coach? What you know? What credentials should you be looking for? Yeah, um, here in this country, the the NSCA has the Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. Um, there's a lot of great coaches at that high school level and and that sort of thing. I think you can definitely find them on their website. You can find their coaches. Um, the RSCC, so the Registered Strength and Conditioning Coach. That means that they've got, you know, their CPR, but they've also got their qualifications of a degree plus the certification um, thing. And I, I, I think those people are out there. So Great. Okay. So 
you mentioned soccer. So let's say I have a kid who's trying to improve. What I loved you talking about was skill specific. So I want to go with that for a moment. So let's say they want to improve um, the force at which they can drive a soccer ball. Um, you know, they, they want to hit it harder um, and with more with more pace. So what what might your suggestion be? How, how do they how do they work on that? Yeah, my exercises. Yeah, look, I think some resistance training um, could be good. Um, some jump training, but then also the skill. So, you know, it's very easy to to increase and in, you know put a bigger engine in a car, but then you have to get that coordination to drive it. And I think coordination is a big one for us. Is in terms of analyzing the skill of what, how does that leg, you know, go with the plant leg. And then the swing leg, like, is there is it a timing? Um, you know, is that plant leg? Are you uh, collapsing? You know, what joints? So that could give you. So if you're collapsing at the knee joint, for instance, then you might have knee-dominated strength training or resistance training or jumping to give you stiffness around that that joint. Um, look, I can give you really basic ones just to increase the strength, but I think you can kind of have a look at what's negating um, the player from uh, sure. being able to, to drive that ball. So what I love about what you're saying is, we, you know, to go full circle, you talked about if, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, but you're looking yeah. at it very holistically. So there's the strength demands, but there's also the biomechanical things. I'd argue there's a mental component as well. Uh, you know what are they what what are they thinking every time they go to strike the ball, right? Uh, what's happened in the past? Um, there's a recovery and a training load aspect. So so really, what you're saying is you have to look at the whole picture, um, and then do everything very purposefully when you're trying to improve some aspect of your game. Yeah, and the advice I'd give a coach or a parent, you know, to film something and then go through a checklist. Okay, so what's negating, you know, their their child or you know who they're coaching to to perform that better? And absolutely, the psychology is is a big one. It really is because you know you see these kids in practice against you know no opposition drive the ball really right. really well, right. and then against opposition. So you know there's there's that aspect, um, sure, anxiety, all of all those things. So. I hit the golf ball great at the driving range, but when I get out onto the course with with my friends watching, it's a different game, right? So you're right. Uh, how you practice uh, dictates how you play and, and the right circumstances. Yeah, okay, so, I think that's so, a good one. Like perfect practice doesn't make perfect performance. You have to learn. The body actually learns much better from mistakes. It's actually a really self-organizing um, organism. So, sure. you know, if you can say, for instance, in running, you may coach the head, okay, let's make sure your head's at the same spot, then the body organizes itself to make sure that you maintain the head at that height. So mm -hmm. be it stiffness at the ankle, strength at the knee, that sort of thing. So it's okay to fail in practice. In fact, we want that to happen. We do, learning's accelerated, but yeah. there has to be a successful outcome or the ability to show what you're actually coaching a mistake for a mistake is not <laughs> not conducive of performance right 
you know, um, controlled mistakes or mistakes that can lead to better performances is, yeah, is definitely encouraged. Sure. And then having that growth mindset along with that certainly can help uh, protect our egos as well. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> the growth mindset's a, a really big one. Sure. So, all right, we talked a little bit about strength training. Um, let's talk about recovery. So, uh, again, you know, most of our listeners, middle school, high school, uh, perhaps, you know, they'll go to a volleyball tournament and play three, four, five matches in a weekend, soccer tournament, or maybe they're a football player who is playing a game a week. Uh, give us some, uh, you know, realistic hands-on tips for recovery between games, um, whether it's a tournament or even if you're playing regularly once a week, twice a week, that sort of thing. Yeah. No, it's a good one. It's a really good question. I think you've got to start at your fundamentals. So okay. that being nutrition, um, you know, you can do a nice kind of uh, trendy ice bath or cryotherapy or, you know, like what Steph Curry's doing or LeBron or, or whatever. But realistically, nutrition is, is a big one. You know, you can't okay. have processed, processed carbs and, and different things between games and expect to, to recover because we know that impacts things like sleep. Sleep is cheap, but actually it's not. A lot of people tend um, to do all the wrong habits before sleep. Like sleep is a massive one. So, you know, you go from these games and, and we get a lot of our players. So they're sympathetic driven, you know, that fight or flight or they're mm -hmm. up for the game. And then they never let their um, parasympathetic, that rest, digest, come back in. So um, their minds are back on. So straight away you see, see the young adolescents come off the field and they're straight on their phone. So, you know, they're playing games and stuff like that. So they're already up already. So it's almost like how can we come down from the game? So we don't want to go straight into that blue light. You know, we want to, want to get rid of that. We want to come down. We may just have silence in, in our mind. And I think that's really important that the mindfulness, I think that these are really big things to teach our adolescents and our kids early on, on how to, how to rest and relax and, and digest good quality food. Sure. Yeah. So Look, I, lo I love your tips. You said so uh, avoid the, the simple carbs, uh, get sleep, uh, relax, stay away from the devices. Relax could be mindfulness meditation. It could be just closing your eyes. It could be just sitting outside in the sun. Uh, lot, lots of different ways to do that, but, but avoid the stimulation to let us come down. And then you were about to say something else before I cut you off. Yeah, no, the, and the, there's other things, you know, there's the hot and cold, you know, it's almost having a look at what works for you as an individual. And I think journaling, and I think journaling can be a really good thing for some of the things that we've kind of said is goal setting, but then also journaling on how you feel post game, um, coming into the game. So if you're a little bit anxious coming into the game, then there's something that you can talk to your parents or you can, you know, go to reputable kind of resources to help reduce that. Um, after the game, how you felt? Are you fatigued? Okay, why are you fatigued? Mm -hmm. You know, you, if you construct why you're fatigued in soccer, tends to be maybe, you know, that repeat sprint um, has gone up recently. So what are you doing um, preparing for that? 
So I'd always look at that, not just recovery for recovery's sake, because actually you may not be conditioned well. So that's why you know, your, your poor recovery may be coming in or your diet's not as good recently. Um, you know, processed carbs and oils and, and that sort of thing can have a big effect on our body. So. Sure. I'm hearing a theme is like not, everything you've talked about is do it for a reason. It sounds like there, you know, we don't just fail for failure's sake. We don't just do recovery for recovery's sake. We don't just lift weights for lifting weights sake. There has to be a purpose behind it. Yeah. And that's, that's where the psychology comes in because it's easy to take shortcuts as humans. We want to take shortcuts. We want the rewards before we, you know, We've worked hard for it and, and stacking habits. You know, my wife always says to our boys, stack positives. You know, if, if the other ways, if you write on your journal, oh, you know, I had a processed carb here, I got on my phone here, um, you know, I was anxious about this here, that sort of thing, you, you'll kind of, you, you stack compromises. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, the big one. British Cycling talked about marginal gains and the aggregation of marginal gains to all the one percenters. But I see in athletes and and this from the bottom to the top is we have the aggregation of compromises. You know, I really want to get better, but actually I don't want to do all the small stuff. Sure. And they add up. Yeah. I call that want versus desire. Uh, Absolutely. You know, so I want to be able to play the guitar but I've picked it up three times in my life, played it for about 30 minutes, put it down and said, this is too hard. But if I really desired to play the guitar, then I would not play games on my phone and I would spend time on the guitar and I wouldn't spend time watching TV and I'd spend time on the guitar. And we have a lot of wanters, but not all as desirers. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Intrinsic versus extrinsic and and that sort of thing. So yeah, absolutely. Sure. Um, you know, you you started to talk about the hot and the cold. Do you have any specific advice for youth athletes, cold tubs, hot, when to do heat, when to do cold? And, and again, I know there has to be a purpose behind it. Uh, it made me think of I was in Scandinavia in high school running on a track team and they had these saunas and then they but they were right on the edge of a very, very cold sea. And they would sit in the sauna and then they'd take a plunge into the cold water and then they'd go back in the sauna. And uh, this is the only place I've ever seen this. So talk to me about heat versus cold, when to do which, how long to do it for. Uh, you know, t- talk, to, talk to us about that. Yeah. No, there's just so much research coming out about this. And, yeah, I've been to, to Europe and been lucky enough to, to do the, um, the saunas and then into the lake and that sort of thing. <laughs> If you think about like why they did it, you know, they tend to have done it for health and then it's gone over to sport as, as anything, sport kinds of takes from different, different things. They take from medical and, and that sort of thing. But if you think about heat, you get that vasodilation. So the, you know, the, the vascular system really dilates and opens up. Okay. Because it wants to push the blood towards the skin to cool the skin and that sort of thing. So you're getting that flexibility in 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 the in the vascular system and then when you jump into the cold then it constricts so you're getting this really good range or flexibility if you're just looking at that you can look at the parasympathetic and the and the sympathetic but i mean if you just look at the vascular health you know that if you leave your hose out um, and not use it all summer 
then you go to use it and there's normally holes or it cracks or it goes hard. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, look, the vascular system is, is not as cheap as a, as a garden hose, but it's, it's a similar <laughs> thing. You want to have that, that range of vascularity or that flexibility. So, you know, when you're in a soccer match, you know, you're able to dilate um, really, really well. Um, look, the cold, the, there's, I, look, I come from a bit of a school of, I think the body really recovers well by itself. You know, if you, if you do all the really good thing, nutrition and, and, and that sort of thing, I think it can recover really well. If you want to accelerate that, then what you're going to do is compromise some of the adaptations. So, and, and I think this is a really important one for, for, um, players and athletes that are coming into their adolescence, they have really high hormonal levels that will really, you know, human growth hormone. You, you see a, a young boy or girl kind of fall over and graze their knee and in three days it's not there. Whereas in, you know, in our 30s, 40s, 50s, tends to last a week, two weeks. So, um, but in saying that, if you have a congested um, schedule, then cold can, can definitely work. But again, it's going to negate those adaptations that you, you're trying to get. Um, but yeah, I, look, people used to say you have to go in really, really cold. I, I think it's around 55 degrees is, is still okay, where people were kind of try, trying to do high 30s and 40s. That's mm. just, that's, that's probably a mental thing. Um, I've seen really good studies. Um, for around about 10 to 14 minutes um, will reduce a lot of inflammation and, and, and that sort of thing. Again, I just wouldn't wouldn't go towards where it's mentally scarring or mentally hard. It, it should be, look, it's it's cold, but it, it shouldn't um, it shouldn't hurt and that sort of thing. So sure, okay. Yeah. What what about uh, I'm seeing all over Facebook, and I uh, apologize, I don't remember the name of it, but this little it's like a massaging device that kind of, you know, hit, hits your muscles uh, really, really fast. You know, whatever that thing is called, is, is that thing helpful? Because they are marketing the heck out of that to uh, to parents right now. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. You know, it's it's kind of growing like weeds in uh, in professional sport. Um, I think from like a low level, I think it should be fine. But if something's like if you've got a really tight muscle. It's probably tight for a reason. The nervous system is is making that muscle tight because it actually doesn't want you to use it until it recovers. So, if you get the the some of these that, that do, you know, two hundred and four two two thousand four hundred, um, you know, jabs per minute, then yeah. you're probably just bashing, you know, the, the muscle and, and probably causing some damage there and that sort of thing. So, I think at, at low levels. You know, the, all the speeds and, and not too hard, I think it's fine. Um, okay. I would encourage, you know, a, a normal massage if, if you can do that. So, okay. you know, there's self-massaging techniques and, and that sort of thing. So, these then sure. you can regulate the pain and, and that sort of thing. Um, I've found from personal and I always try and do it and I'm a lot older than some of our athletes, but I always come out sore um, from that. And, and, you know, I used to talk to some of the, the athletes in the NFL and they used to say, coach, you need to stretch after that. So, you know, I tried stretching after it and that sort of thing. So I helped a little bit, but I still was just as sore. So yeah. Yeah. The, there's no really good fundamental research out there, Sam, for, uh, okay. for that helping. Sure. 
And some some of the things are probably a placebo or a mental effect, right? As you know, as long as we're not hurting ourselves, if you think it's helping, then you know, I you know, as long as uh, like I said, you're not hurting yourself. If you think it's helping, it might you know. I think of the uh, the magic spray that they use uh, in in uh, soccer matches, right, uh, or yeah. football matches, right. So uh, all of a sudden, the spray them and they're magically fixed and they're back on the pitch. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I grew up with the magic sponge. The magic sponge <laughs> would come out and, and you would jump up. But yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, in a lot of my accreditations and, and one of my latest one with, with um, the Australian Exercise and Sports Science, they have a high performance manager accreditation. And, and you know, the fundamental thing is thou, thou shall not harm. And I think mm -hmm. that goes along with, with what you're saying in terms of the placebo. If it doesn't harm the athlete, then that's fine, you know, but yep. that's the sure. fundamental ethic, ethics that, that we follow. So for sure, you, uh, you started to talk about uh, stretching after the massage. Uh, now this is something that has drastically changed since I was a child participating in sports where we did as a group, we would do this very static stretching before sports. And then sometimes you do this static stretching again after competing in sports. Now I don't see much warm up at all. Uh, I do see some dynamic warm up, some very skill specific things in certain sports. In soccer, I think soccer does a pretty good job of warming up. I don't see cool down at all in any sports at the youth level anymore. So what should kids be doing? Uh, you know, what are the do's and don'ts in terms of warm up, stretching, and cooling and cooling down? Yeah, um, great question because it changes all the time. It, it really <laughs> does. The research and it's it's certain research groups will really advocate static stretching. The others will be dynamic stretching. Um, current practices for us is light aerobic exercise to get you know blood into the muscles and, and that sort of thing and then go up to a really specific and I think it, it's it's working up over a time it's just making sure that you one do enough and not and don't do too much and I know that's quite general but again I think that comes down to the individual and, and journaling and, and see how you feel um, I've measured an international rugby player I, I was I watched a player and I thought wow he's doing way too much and it was interesting, I, I had the luxury of the GPS and heart rate, and he was virtually, the rugby's played in two halves like football. Um, he was doing virtually an extra half for his warm-up. So, wow. Yeah, so we had to change that a lot um, to like a virtually, it was like a 14-minute warm-up where before he was doing like a 40-plus minute warm-up. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like dynamic stretching. I think dynamic stretching, moving through the ranges that, that you're going to do. And then in the warm-ups is increase that bandwidth. So encouraging players or giving them the opportunity or where you're coaching is to get into awkward situations. Um, we, we do these nice straight line warm-ups and, and different things. And then we do these nice skips in soccer. You see they do the skips and stuff like that is, you know, you want them to do very similar to what they're going to do in the game. So okay. I think that's a, about, that's a big one. I, I like the cool down, but it just depends on your culture. In When I came from rugby to the NFL, 
we had to be on the plane within 60 minutes. So we really couldn't do a lot of a cool down, like because guys are getting their, their gear off and, and, and getting changed and showered and then the next thing we're on the bus. So, you know, it's, it's within the constraints of, of what you're doing too. But I, I like to see a cool down if you can. I think the cardiovascular system um, welcomes it. Okay. Um, let's say you do have to jump in a car on a bus. Are you able to do a cool down hours later or is it too late at that point? Um, yeah, look, we'd like to move and, and that sort of thing. Um, I think if it's almost like, you know, when you get onto a plane and they teach you about like moving around and, and different <laughs> things, I think if you can do some of those, especially at the lower leg, um, you know, gravity is going to pull that blood and pull, you know, the blood um, towards the lower legs. If you have, you know, compression stockings and, and, and stuff like that, I think they can work too. Like if you if you can't move, I, I would say that because you want to push that blood back up into the heart and, okay. and kind of process that there. And then um, if you're getting into a car and, and that sort of thing or a bus, then that can reduce the inflammation in the lower leg as well for, for compression stockings. I think you can get that from, you know, a lot of the sporting um, sure. shops and, and that sort of thing. I think they're quite good. So when Dr. Beard calls them stockings, that's Australian for socks uh, for our <laughs> listeners. So. Yeah, I'm getting better at a lot of, a lot of things, but not everything. <laughs> so compression socks, uh, great. So, you know, one of the most amazing impacts I've seen you have personally, Adam, is on injury prevention and reducing injury rates at some of the, the places you've been. So... Talk to our listeners about, you know, what, what are some of the things that a high performance director might do uh, that could apply to youth or adolescent athletes from an injury prevention standpoint? What, what suggestions do you have there? Yeah. Um, the things that we looked at, like these days, I've, I've got a lot of technologies, you know, but when I started in the industry, we didn't. We just kind of had mm -hmm. film and you counted. And the big thing is I would I would encourage is is to do some movement analysis and it, it's quite easy you can get a piece of paper and, and count the number of sprints you may even count the the um the length of some of those sprints and and look that's not going to be perfect but you can easily say oh that was about 20 yards and that was mm -hmm. that looked 100 percent. so you kind of record it and if you can understand physically what the game gives you then you can prepare for that and i, I think that's a that's a big one where a lot of people and, and we we get this load management these days mm -hmm. i think that's never going to prepare you for the game so you're going to get injured and it's something that when you know i was with you in the nfl we came along and we were getting a lot of injuries before i came and, and it was almost like like what's the coach going to do in practice what's the coach going to do during the week and and try and construct you know what we're going to do there look there's a lot of strength training um exercises and stuff like that but if i'm honest you know hamstrings for instance you know they're the number one in soccer the nfl mlb everywhere um, yeah the hamstrings are a very fast twitch fiber they don't like to repeat so you really can do a little bit in the weight room but actually you need to do it running you need to sprint so it's almost you get a vaccine by doing what you need to do so and then it, that is just working up slowly to that. You know, when you can't can't increase 
intense volume by a hundred percent you know we kind of a magic number and it's not magic but 10 to 15 percent increase you know week on week so um that's that's the kind of things that i normally do is is look at okay so one what does a sport produce what kind of injuries um what do we do that may cause those injuries and then how can we mitigate those um great it's like brushing it's like brushing your teeth you know if you want clean teeth you're gonna have to brush your teeth if you want healthy hamstrings you need to sprint and it's 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 kind of that simple in, in, a, in yep. a way there's no magic sure. formula there really isn't well you certainly have uh have done a great job in that in that area so i I'd argue that it's probably a little bit more complex than you're making it seem. You're being awfully humble because uh, I see a lot, as you mentioned, a lot of hamstring injuries, a lot of soft tissue injuries in general. And uh, yeah, yeah. And I think you've done a great job of reducing those. And 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 many people say that the majority of soft tissue injuries are preventable. Yeah, they're lying to you, unfortunately. <laughs> like that, you know, like, like some. <laughs> You can they're trying mitigate. to sell me. They're trying to sell me a load management system or something, right? <laughs> yeah. It, look, <clears throat> it, from what I can see, especially at the the top top level, is you'll get you know these gurus outside saying, you know, I've worked in a sport and I had no injuries, or um, you know, soft tissue injuries are completely preventable. Well, it's kind of coming from the people that are not in the arena. It's coming from the cheap seats of, hey, if I was in your position, there'd be no injuries. Really? Yeah, you know, and you'd be in my position. <laughs> yeah, and I think you can, look, you can do all of the things, you know, and, and mitigate. Like, I remember the NFL, the owner used to always pester me for, hey, we've got to be hydrated. We've got to be hydrated. This is why we're getting soft tissue injuries. And, you know, I turned to him and said, well, why aren't we injured? You know, because we're dehydrated, we've been out here for two and a half hours. Like we're all, we're, all the co all the coaches are are uh, dehydrated. It's because we don't sprint. And look, I think the hydration is very important. So please don't think that I'm t saying that. But it's you have to sprint because if you're dehydrated, you're more likely not to get that. The muscle needs to be fueled, but. If you're not sprinting, you probably won't get a hamstring injury. So, so if you want to, uh, so basically you have to practice the skills that you're going to need on game day. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, makes, makes sense. And I think, I think this is, is, it might be a little bit controversial, but like when you and I were, were growing up playing sport, we probably played or, or had practice when we were dehydrated. And, and oh, these days... Sure. The players have to be perfectly hydrated all the time, mm -hmm. and I kind of think that that reduces the the bandwidth um, for resiliency. And I, I think sometimes, you know, control environment, then then you you might not completely dehydrated, but not as perfectly hydrated as everything. Like the kids these days carry a water bottle everywhere, mm -hmm. like everywhere. It's almost like attached to them here, and there's the phone in the other hand. So. Yeah, interesting. So uh, I'm glad you brought that up. So that makes me think of electrolytes and sports drinks. Uh, you know, my 
my one kid is a horrible water drinker, but boy, does he love the Gatorades and, you know, the sports drinks and, you know, and, and all this out there. And uh, so, you know, what, what general advice do you have in terms of sports drinks after, before, you know, uh, salt, electrolytes, uh, we don't need to pick on any brand per se, but just in general, um, you know, what advice do you have for kids who are athletes? Yeah, look, I think, you know, some of these sport drinks can be really good. You know, I mean, there's a lot of really good research and, and that sort of thing. Um, even, you know, we have to have a look at the, the muscle uptakes, a lot of these, you know, these simple carbohydrates and that mm -hmm. if, uh, you know, we're well trained, um, if we're not as well trained, I don't think they work as well. Um, look, there is is kind of the, the composition of, of salt, potassium, all these electrolytes and, and that sort of thing. Normally, these are very well researched, so they normally have pretty good um, compositions. So I kind of wouldn't tend to go outside that. Um, but I think, you know, the overconsumption of, of these sports drinks, you know, the, um, while they've got a lot better, if you go back to the Los Angeles Olympics, we didn't really know about it. And this is where a lot of these came out. And a lot of these track and field athletes, you know, gained five and 10 pounds over kind of like a week and, and they didn't perform as well. So I would say that a lot of these are empty calories. Um, they can be good around the game. I just would discourage it throughout the week um, and okay. that sort of thing. I don't think that you need them all the time. And they're very sweet on our uh, on our teeth and that sort of thing. So, you know, um, if your boy is having some of these, maybe you know, just rinsing his mouth and, and stuff like with uh, with water, you know, mm -hmm. gets that sugar off the teeth and that sort of thing. I think that's quite important. There's some research on on, on that as well. So, okay. Um, so there are some good products out there. And again, we don't, you know, we won't, we won't. We won't bash any bad ones, but but there are some good products out there and some good science behind it. Uh, better to use around competition time as opposed to during the week. And then what about before games versus after games? Is there a, I'd assume after for recovery is, is better than prior to? Yeah. Um, well, prior to depends, depends on the athlete. So, you know, a lot of the, the athletes um, struggle eating prior to games and that sort of thing. Mm. So simple carbohydrates and, and that sort of thing. It's a bit of a, a trial and error. Um, you know, we normally like survey our players to see, you know, how they go and, and try and kind of get a good routine, you know, at practices and that sort of thing. And then once they understand themselves in practice, then we tend to use the same, um, you know, process for the game. Yeah, definitely post-game, I, th I think you can definitely have have some. It's just having a look at the ingredients. You know, like some of these, you know, drinks can be upward 40, 50, 60 grams of, of carbohydrates, which is quite high. So. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, very, very helpful. And, and, and uh, we're about to wrap up. So if you're listening live and you have a question, uh, please, please uh, drop it in the, the chat and... Uh, We'll ask Dr. Beard your question. So as we're winding down, you know, one of my main takeaways, Adam, is that, you know, you've mentioned this a few times. I think 
it's a very individualized thing. And one of the best ways to figure out what works or doesn't work for you is to keep a log or a journal and to really chart what you're doing in terms of not just your workouts, but what are you doing before the training or before the game? What are you doing after? How do you feel? And then you're starting to look for themes, it sounds like, and coming up with your own recipe for pregame, during game, and postgame. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you kind of, you talked about that, um, that, that mindset, you know what I mean? Like to, to mm -hmm. be able to be open to things. And I think if you can construct or go through what works and what doesn't and, and gain advice of credit, creditable people, think you know that's gonna expedite and I'm always that's that's my big thing is how can I expedite your performance and I think it's it's asking the hard questions of of yourself your coaches and, and that sort of thing how can I be more efficient and stacking habits you know, I think that's a that's a big one sure sure oh here comes a question um, so there's a question on uh, from Jennifer do you have any tips for maintaining health of the knees for a catcher so you have a catcher is squatting a lot um uh, and this is a, a 18 year old but uh, i'm sure we can answer the question generally so uh i'm sure you've seen this at the major league baseball level adam either in the minors or in the majors what what advice do you have for that yeah that's no, a great question because they're in really difficult you know um situations and positions for long long periods um, you know, I think making sure that, that we maintain tissue health. So, you know, we talked about before percussion. I think we, we kind of talked about that. I'd stay away from that as much, but I mean, foam rollers, um, massage, self massage, I think is really important to keep that integrity of the tissue around the knee. Um, making sure that the other things like ankle mobility, you know, ankle mobility, so we look at the kinetic chain, the ankle mobility um, really needs to be maintained because if the ankle's not mobile, then the knee's probably going to have to, you know, take the brunt of, of some of that. So I would say ankle mobility is really, really important and hip mobility and strength is really important as well. So that would, that would oh. be my biggest advice. Okay, so... Uh, things that I think a lot of people, and certainly me, didn't think of, uh, which makes sense. It's all connected, uh, the, the ankle and the hip, to focus on those in addition to the knee. Yeah, well, the, the <coughs> knee is a, a stability joint. If you kind of look at mobility and stability, the ankle is a mobility thing. We need to increase the mobility of our ankle, and as we age, we tend to um, get less or more rigid the knee needs to be stable and the hip needs to be more mobile. So, you know, around the knee joint, you need to make sure those two are, are mobile so the knee doesn't have to take on extra mobility. So. Sure. So what, what are some practical things people could do to increase ankle and hip uh, mobility? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really good. There's um, so ankle mobility. So there's, things like knee to wall exercises and that sort of thing. There's thing, look, it's hard to kind of verbalize it, but I would say you can, you can go on to, to YouTube and, and stuff like that and, and put in ankle mobility and you'll get like okay. lots of different exercises and, and really credible. Um, okay. 
I, I don't know if they're going to mean anything. Me just kind of throwing okay. up some names of exercises. Okay, no worries. Um, what, what about the I, uh, what about the spelling the uh, alphabet with your ankle in the air? Uh, is, is, that's one that was taught to me. I don't know if there's good science behind that one or not. But when you're sitting in your chair in class in school to put your leg out and you know to draw the the letters in the air with with each ankle and then go from yeah um, regular to cursive and etc. Yeah, um, that that will 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 get some good kind of mobility strength. I, I think probably in this one because they're in contact with the ground. There's some good exercises that they could do with the, with the ankle um, on the ground. Like they've got things like you know putting kettlebells on on the knee or small weights on the knee to to push that. You might foam roll the the you know the lower calf and that sort of thing to get that tissue quality and and then to um, be able to increase that range over sure. time. So. Great. So we have another question from James, um, and I think we may devote a future uh, entire episode to this topic of ACLs, but but we have you here, and so I'd love to ask you the question. Uh, so James says women tend to have ACL slash knee issues. Um, men do as well, but women do tend to have them at a higher rate. Uh, anything to consider for stretching or workouts that should be considered to help reduce knee or ACL injuries? Yeah, no, this is a this is a pandemic in sport. You know, what I mean? especially mm -hmm. yeah, as as we kind of allude to with women. Um, look, in terms of you know basic, really good strength training, I think it's really important. Um, you know, strengthening hamstrings is is a really good preventable, especially in the eccentrics. Um, look, there is some really good position papers on this, and I, I would encourage you to go to Google Scholar and just put in, um, you know, ACL prevention. Um, I know the the soccer um, in the UK has the preventative six. I think exercises. I don't know if anyone's seen that, but that's that's a really good one that they they've put in and, and it's reducing ACLs and, and that sort of thing. So. And if I can find it, we'll uh, <clears throat> we'll put a link to that um, in the replay. Yeah, I can send some links. Well. I think some of these things is, you know, I can definitely push some links to to, to some of the listeners and viewers uh, for sure. That, that's great. So, so if you are watching this via replay or on our pod podcast, um, there will be some links available for you uh, that, that we'll put on the I Love to Watch You Play .com website. Well, Dr. Beard, thank you so much. Uh, I, you know, I jotted a whole bunch of notes down and I was talking to my co-host Asia before, before we started. And it's kind of our measure, <laughs> no pressure for future guests, but that's kind of our measure for, for, you know, uh, how informative the, the guest was by how many notes that we take. Um, and so I wrote a lot down. So, um, it was certainly informative for me and I'm sure, uh, was informative for our listeners. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule in season uh, to uh, to talk to us and uh, and go Cubs. No worries. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it. Yep. Let's go Cubs. All right. Take care. See ya. <laughs>